Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Well, today uh, I want to start a new series. It's term four, school term, and we like to work in the term. So we're going to start this series called Why I Believe. Why I believe. And over these next eight weeks, we're going to answer some, some of the big questions that get asked out there and how I've been asked, I know, over in my life. And I've asked these questions in my life. And we're going to go through them, a bit of an overview of them today. And, and I hope this will help us being helpful, not only building up your faith, building up some of the tools in your toolbox to be able to defend your faith, to be able to stand firm and say, that's why I believe, this is what I believe. And that's how I would answer those types of questions maybe that might get asked or even if you're asking these types of questions, some of you sitting here today, you'll be, oh, yeah, I've asked that question or I feel that one. And uh, we're going to look at these things in a little bit more depth over these coming weeks. And this is a, a series, it's what you could call apologetics. Apologetics is really the ability to defend your faith. It's a, it's a look at what we believe, why we believe, and be able to stand firm on that and be able to say, here's the reasons why. And so, but I don't want it to just be about defending faith like a lawyer would defend their faith. And if you're under trial or something, I don't want it to be a series where we're just giving a reasoned arguments and trying to justify that we're Christian or justify the answers to these kind of questions. I want us to really think about how this could deepen my relationship with God. I want to connect with God at a really personal level. And I want you to leave here today even, we're only going to just have a bit of an intro into it. But today, just walk out today and say, I want to, I'm deeper in my relationship with God. It's not about having all this knowledge and depth of insight and all these arguments to be able to defend. It's about saying, I'm walking closer to God in my relationship. So there's a mind part to this and learning, but there's a heart part to this and saying growing. I'm really growing in my relationship with God. Has anyone here ever been through a series and learning of the apologetics of different topics? Have you been through those kind of talks before? I think they're really fantastic for that purpose. And we're going to look at different topics as well, I'll share with you right now. And I'm not going to give away too many spoilers because we've got different things we want to bring throughout, but I will give you a little bit of a taste as we go. So this is what the next eight weeks will look like here. Firstly, why I believe God is real. Why I believe God is real. And this is really just a bit of an intro today, and I'll share a couple of the arguments with you. I'm going to look at the moral argument. It's called the moral arguments to why I believe God is real. And we're going to look at the religious experience argument today. I'm going to touch on those two with you today. I'm not going to get into the teleological argument or the cosmological argument with you today. They're big words, aren't they? Next week, Cain is going to come and speak, and he's going to speak to us on the cosmological argument, which is to talk about creator God and that why do things exist and how do things exist and and touching on that side of things. So don't get too blown away by those big words, but Cain is going to touch on that. I thought I'd just leave that one to him. Is that good? (laughs) All right. It just really means the explanation for the existence of God, explanation for the existence of the universe. And uh, that's a, it's a big topic. So, yeah, Cain, you're up for that one, all right? And um, then week three, we're going to look at Jesus is the way. And I felt like 
something that I've often been asked and I've travelled a lot in different countries, different cultures, and I've, I've heard questions like, well, and especially in the new age and today and in our world, it's like, is Jesus really the only way to God or is Jesus even God? Um, there's so many paths. All roads lead to Rome, they say. Well, not all paths lead to God. And so we're going to touch on why is Jesus, and I'm going to prove to you why Jesus is the only way to God. And that's a, an argument that you need to be able to stand firm on. Number four, uh, week four, we're going to talk about why God allows suffering and evil. It's probably the most asked question in the church, isn't it? Out in the world out there today, and we just prayed for little Izzy. Why is God allowing this family to go through suffering like what they're about to go through? And I've heard of other sufferings even this week that people are, are going through. Why does God allow suffering and evil in the world today? It's a big question and it's a great topic for us to, just, to, to look into. In week five, we're going to look at Cafe Connect again. We had a wonderful Cafe Connect. We're going to do it again this term and I hope that you enjoyed it and uh, be having church out there around the tables and we'll look forward to that. In week six, did Jesus really die from uh, race? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And again, Cain is going to come and bring us a, a message around the literal resurrection, why he believes in the literal resurrection of Jesus. And that'll be a fantastic week. Week seven, we're going to look at truth. And does truth really matter? Why I believe truth really matters. And I've asked Tim to come and preach on that one uh, for this term. He's going to focus on why we have this depth within us, a, a deep yearning for truth. And we're in a world where truth is so watered down and there is no truth out there. So everybody's got a truth and that truth and this truth and everyone's got a different truth truth, right? But there is really only one truth. And we know the Bible says that Jesus is the truth and that the word of God is the truth. And the thing I've learned is that if, unless you've got the word of God as the foundation of your life and Jesus as the core focus of your life, everything is out of order. Unless that's the foundation, that's the truth. And we have all these other truths that people follow, but their lives are chaos and their lives are confused. It's all out of order. We have to come back to why Jesus and why the word of God is the truth and why that has to be at the centre and the core of our life. So that's why truth really matters. Tim will bring that apologetic for us. And then the last week I'm going to focus on um, why I believe in the supernatural realm why I believe in the supernatural realm. I'm going to focus on some of the aspects of heaven and hell and spiritual life and demonic force and spiritual warfare. But the main thing that I want to focus on in that is around the, the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Why I believe that the Holy Spirit is real and active and moving and alive and in my heart right now and with us in this room, that God is here. Why I believe in the supernatural realm. So... Does that sound like a good series? It'll be fun. And then guess what happens after that, everyone? It's Christmas time. So we're going to our Christmas holidays and we'll have three weeks of Christmas series. And those three weeks, just as a little heads up, we want those three Sundays to be focused for you to bring your friends to, to church. Bring your friends to church over those three weeks so that they can come and hear the gospel message, message of Jesus' love for them. Does that sound good? By the way, all of these topics are great topics for you to bring people along that have asked. So I've, I've had people ask me some of those questions. I think, man, I wish I could just have them hear a message around that. That's what we're going to do. We're going to prepare messages that you could bring your friends and hear them around these topics. Okay. So let me go back to week one, why I believe God is real. I want to share some of the reasons I believe God is real and that 
My faith is not just some kind of made-up fairy tale. And I think it's important to gather evidence around these things and have good answers to our faith so that we don't walk blindly. We don't have a blind faith, church. We can walk with knowledge. We can walk with depth of insight and take calculated steps of faith to follow God with wisdom, but also know how to answer those who are questioning their faith. I need to be able to stand firm, be able to give a defence for it so that I can help them also come to know God when they're asking these questions. So I want to begin with a scripture that was penned by King David thousands of years ago, and it was in Psalm 139, verse 13 to 15. Let's read it together, church. You, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You know, saying here that since creation, people like King David have said these same kind of words. All throughout creation, King David acknowledged here the existence of God. And people have acknowledged the existence of creation and of God. Even Albert Einstein, he would agree with King David. He said these words just before he died. He said, the knowledge of science and physics makes me more sure than ever that all the world was made by a divine creator. So if Einstein believed, and he was the smartest man apparently in the 20th century, and King David believed it thousands of years earlier, I'm sure that we could all learn something from this and probably believe this too. And my goal in these weeks ahead is to not just give us that good information and prove our faith, I know we're going to get some great answers to our questions, but my goal is to expand our minds and bless our hearts and deepen our resolve to have stronger faith in God while drawing us to the wonder of who God is and into an attitude of worship that maybe is deeper than you've ever been before. That's my goal for this series. I mean, I've given my life to this God You've given your life to this God. I haven't given my life to this God out of ignorance. I haven't given it to him just because I've now got some strong evidence. I'm a reasonable person. I'm not an unreasonable person. I'm not following God out of blind faith, but because of the reality of who God is, I've learned. I'm so convinced in this God that I will serve him and I will love him with all my heart for the rest of my life and then for eternity. And I was thinking, if I'm willing to give my life, which my life is valuable to me, church, if I'm willing to give my life to this God, would it be interesting for us to know why I believe in that God? Would it be interesting for you to know why you believe in the God that you're giving your life to? Because there's a lot of things people give their lives to. And we're choosing to give our life to God. But why? And maybe it will help you as you're determining if you would give your heart away to God. Maybe a little bit deeper. Maybe a little bit more of your life to God. Maybe this series is going to help you. You know the Bible says in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart. Next, It's not moving on. There we go. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14.1. And some people think believing in God is unreasonable. Like the writer Isaac Asimov, he states that I am an atheist 
out and out, but I don't have the evidence to prove God doesn't exist, but I so strongly suspect that he does not, that I won't waste my time with him. This is a famous quote, and he forgets one thing there, that it's impossible to prove a negative, and no one can prove atheism. The Bible says that he's a fool, actually. This guy is a fool. He's unreasonable. God still loves atheists. God loves this guy. He loves them, but he says they're fools. They're unreasonable. So how can reasonable people hold unreasonable beliefs? And I think this is a great question. All of us in this room are reasonable people. Amen? Just have a quick look at the person next to you. Are they reasonable people or not? I think, mm, see a few heads nodding there, shaking. Yep. So why do reasonable people hold unreasonable beliefs? I think it's because there's this yearning that's deep within us that we all have to know that we are more than just a brain and a body, that we actually have a purpose. We've been created in our inmost being, that God is fearfully and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something deep within us that's yearning for that. Literally every other question to this is secondary to this one. Depending on how you answer this question is going to determine how you radically live your life, this way or that way, a Christian road or a way of the world, a Christian way or the way of the world. So is biblical Christianity to have a belief in God, is that a reasonable belief or not? And is there some evidence for God's existence that could help us withstand the challenges and the scrutiny that we come under in our faith or not? How do we decide if something is even reasonable to start with? Well, in a courtroom, we would compile evidence and we would consider the evidence carefully and the jury would look over the evidence and they make a decision based on the weight of the evidence. In a courtroom in Australia, they make those final decisions based on if there's enough evidence to give them, um, convince the jurors beyond a shadow of a doubt. No? Beyond reasonable doubt. Not beyond a shadow of a doubt, but beyond reasonable doubt. Because it's impossible to prove something beyond a shadow of a doubt, but it's possible to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And a reasonable doubt is all that's required in a courtroom. Think about it. When you're about to get on a plane and go travelling, we don't know without absolute certainty... We don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that plane's going to land in that destination that we're planning it to be landing in. True? But there's a high probability and there's sufficient evidence there and there's enough reason for us to believe that getting on that plane, we're going to end up in that destination. And so we board the plane. We take the step of faith. And we're already absolutely certain we know that we, well, most of you know that you have a job tomorrow. True? But you're only trusting that beyond reasonable doubt that you'll have a job tomorrow, that you're not going to walk in tomorrow and you won't have a job. Kids getting ready to go back to school tomorrow, they're beyond reasonable doubt that the school's going to be there tomorrow and hasn't blown up overnight. True? Some of them wish they would have, but no. We can believe that, you know, you're absolutely sure that your morning tea today, when you go out there and have morning tea, that it's been not laced with arsenic. True? And I bet you that you'll go out and still eat it after this sermon, right? 
because you believe beyond reasonable doubt that we have enough evidence and that's what people do. We, we weigh the evidence, we consider it, and we finally make a decision and then take a step of faith based on how reasonable the evidence is. And so that's what this series is. I hope that we present enough evidence, enough arguments, and tip the scales of probability for you to say, yes, I am genuinely convinced beyond reasonable doubt that there is in fact a God and that I can take a step of faith and I can believe in him more deeply and follow him with the rest of my life. Now I want to give you a couple of thoughts why I believe God really exists. Just to finish up today, give you something to go home with thinking about. I mentioned next week how Cain is going to present the cosmological argument to God's existence. That's a big topic and he'll try and focus in just on that. So I'm not going to touch on that right now, but I'm going to present something else. It's a great topic. It's called the moral argument. Just for a moment, I want you to spend a minute now thinking about this moral argument for the existence of God, and then we'll look at the religious experience argument for the existence of God. Now, we could talk for a long time about these topics, but I'm going to do it in the next five to ten minutes. The moral argument, this argument asks the question, how is it possible that we could account for the fact that in human nature, worldwide, regardless of the continent, regardless of the culture, regardless of the language, regardless of the skin colour, regardless of the differences, regardless of time and generations, in humankind, worldwide, there is a kind of a moral code, a moral code that's written within our hearts, a moral code that's written into our DNA. It's a moral code that's been stamped into our DNA. This moral code is in fact there because God has put it there. It's a kind of an inner sense of what is right and what is wrong. And it's all over the world. If human beings and everything else in this world was to simply evolve from gases, how is that possible that moral or morality could have evolved like this? If humans have simply evolved from germs or bacteria or recent improvement of the apes, how is it possible that it accounts for the fact that in almost every single culture in the world today, there is always a preferred truth-telling over lying? There's always a preferred kindness over violence, a preferred loyalty over backbiting, a preferred love over hate, a preferred justice over injustice, and we could go on and on. Why is that? Who accounts for that? Where did those morals come from? Morals that are totally consistent among billions of people who have existed and been separated by oceans and continents for centuries? Or is it just God's plan? Is it just God's stamp when he said, I have planted eternity into the hearts of men and women? Is it just God's plan that he put some of his presence into us despite the fact that we are now sin-cursed when we were born and, and we need Jesus to redeem us? that there's something of the goodness of God still within us. 
that he stamped this into our very DNA. Some of his goodness, of his presence is still there. And it gives us the morals that we live by. Some people say that the Bible is not relevant for our lives today. But if you look carefully, you'll find that it's very relevant as you're discovering the very values and the morals that have been stamped into our hearts, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Those are there, and they are there by the hand of God who created you, and you will find them in the Word of God. These are the very things written in the Word of God that have been planted deep within us. We know what is right, and we know what is wrong, and His Spirit, who is actively knocking on the door of your heart right now, is trying to call you back to those truths, to these morals, to live by God's word, to live by his ways. These things are there. They're planted deep within us. And the world, the way of the world has taken us off track from these things. But God has planted these things within us. And it's interesting that when the truth of God's word is the foundation of our life, that everything else just goes in order. It just comes into order. Imagine what the world would be like if it was focused on the morals of God and going back to the things planted deep within our hearts by God himself. Imagine what it would be like if the world out there would take the word of God as a foundation and live by that again. The truth is that God has planted eternity into the hearts of humanity. And that means he stamped his moral code, his values, his nature and his character into us. And because we have been born with that sin, it all got mucked up. But we want to thank God today that he gave us Jesus. We want to thank God that he's redeemed us, brought us back, and we can live this way because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is the moral argument for the existence of God. Let me move on to the religious experience argument. And I just want to touch on this with you today as well. I want to touch on this argument. I don't even really think it's an argument because actually it's more of an opinion. It's like the icing on the cake here. It takes the the account of real life experiences of real people, spiritual experiences that reasonable people have had, like you. And like me, real experiences. And uh, there's a philosopher named William Alston. His Christian experiences, he says, such as feeling the presence of God or receiving guidance from God or feeling strengthened by God. He says these words. He says, there's something to this that needs to be considered carefully. There's an author named Ron Nash. He goes so far to say that religious experiences, they need to be taken seriously as evidence for the existence of God, provided that the person who's making the claim, the experiential claim, is actually widely known and a trustworthy person. I agree with that. Because we all know there's some weirdo type people out there claiming all sorts of crazy things, spiritual experiences, true? So what he's driving at here is that hundreds of millions, in fact billions, of people who claim to be Christian, they claim that you know, these are intelligent people, these are reasonable people, they're, they're non-marijuana smoking people, right? They're really intelligent, good people, just like you and me. And they are saying God exists. 
They are people like leaders and judges and scientists. They're people like sociologists and economists and builders and bakers and candlestick makers. All of the people who are following Jesus, they can all say that they have claimed and experienced the love of God in their life. They're all making claims that they've experienced the forgiveness of God for their sins in their life. They're all making claim of experiencing the peace of God when life is falling apart and there seems like a storm surrounding them. They're all making claims experiencing the comfort of God when someone passes away, when someone close to them, they're going through a turmoil. They're making claims for the comfort of God. You know, if I had more time, I'd love to share with you so many stories that I've heard and some of the stories of my own life too where I can claim the existence of God simply through the wonderful experiences that I've heard about or that I've experienced of God's presence in my life. Times when God came near to me, I was not hallucinating. I was not making it up. And the stories you hear, they're not they're real good people telling you the truth. And I bet you too could probably have some unmistakable times when God came near to you and you just don't doubt it. And I've had times where if you came up to me and said, is God real after that moment? I would look you in the eye and say, absolutely 100% know that God exists, that he is real. I'm not making this up. Yes, there is a God. I know it. I just talk to him. He just came near to me. He just touched my life. And many of you say the same thing. So how do we account for this? How do you account for the fact that hundreds of millions of people who are not hallucinating, who are not lying, and they're not weirdos, how do you account for the so many people around the world over so many centuries saying the same thing. They experience the love of God. They've experienced the forgiveness of God. They've experienced the peace of God. They've experienced the comfort of God. And this argument, the religious experience argument, is simply saying that when someone's weighing up all the evidence in their attempt to determine if God is real or not, that they could add this religious experience argument to the rest of the evidence, like the moral argument, and the cosmological argument, which Cain will convince us with next week, and the teleological argument, which speaks of the symmetry of the world and the intricacy of creation and the beauty of God's creation and the impossible nature of it being created without by chance. Once you consider all of these arguments and more, the scales just tip towards the existence of God. There's no denying it if you're a reasonable person. And we're all reasonable people in the room. Amen? Yep. So it's going to tip in the favour of the existence of God for us. That's why the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It also says when we truly seek him, we will find him. So let's close our eyes for a moment. And Belinda, if you could come, worship team. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. 
I'll bet if you were really honest that you could probably remember some late night ceiling staring sessions when you're looking into the looking out to God are wondering those dark nights of the soul I can remember some those nights when you've doubted God's existence those nights when you've questioned him those nights where you've wondered why so much suffering those nights when you've questioned is Jesus really the way to God those nights when you've asked if God is even real And it's at those times that sometimes God comes near to you and he says, come on, Troy, you know I'm real. Stop pretending, stop doubting, stop making excuses, stop holding back from me, Troy. Stop pretending that I don't exist. I'm right there with you in the middle of it all. Open your mind now and open your heart and see what I can do. See what I mean in your life. Let me show you purpose. See what I could do in your life if you just open up to me. He says, Troy, give me your heart. Give me your soul. I wanna give you forgiveness. I wanna give you love. I wanna give you purpose. I want you to live a life that you've never known before. I want to be with you. That's the kind of things that God says to all of us. He's calling each of us to come to Him. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We can be convinced in our minds, but we need to be convinced in our hearts. We can have all the knowledge and wisdom and arguments for our faith, but it needs to drop from our head and down into our heart. Because faith is a heart choice. It's a choice. Faith is a decision that you make, not just from the mind, but from the heart. Church, we have a God who loves us. We have a God who has created us with great purpose. Let's pray. Lord, help us to stay reasonable. You gave us a mind and you want us to use our minds. And Lord, even though we may need to wear our thinking caps sometimes, and even throughout this series, we'll bring our thinking caps to church as we're learning. Lord, help it not to stay in our head, but drop to our hearts. We want to build our relationship with you, God. And I pray today as we've thought about the moral argument and the religious experience argument, that we could go away feeling a little bit stronger in our resolve to love you, Jesus. Thank you for being with us today, Lord. Now bless us as we go out this week and keep us safe, Lord, as we go about our, our jobs and school and everything else that we have to do, Lord. Bless us and help us as we stay close to you. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus.